Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministry. For more information regarding the audio outreach ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now here's Pastor Jimmy Fry with today's message. All right, Philemon, uh, we're going to just read verse 17 and 18. It says this, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful today for your word and, and the depths of what it is and uh, the doctrine and the theology and uh, the things that we can just swim in for all of eternity trying to understand you. But uh, God, today uh, I'm thankful for this, this maybe brief pause in this letter to Philemon that challenges our Christian walk to the core how we live it out on a daily basis and how it looks to those around us. God, uh, anoint the ears of your hearers today as we hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. came across a, a story this morning I want to share with you. It says, One New Year's Eve at London's Garrick Club, a British dramatist named Frederick Lonsdale was asked by Seymour Hicks to reconcile with a fellow member of the club. The two had had a falling out in the past, and it was never settled and restored to a friendship. You must, Hicks encouraged Lonsdale. It is very unkind to be unfriendly at such a time. Go over now and wish him a happy new year. So Lonsdale crossed the room to speak to his enemy. He said, I wish you a happy new year, but only one. As I was looking uh, Monday for what I would preach, uh, I accidentally stumbled across the book of Philemon, uh, I was actually looking for Philippians and landed here, took a look at it and thought, it's pretty short, let's just read through it and see what we can find, and wow, what an incredible letter Paul penned to his friend Philemon. Uh, and as you read through this, you, you won't find it to be full of a lot of uh, deep doctrinal statements or theological points, but you will find it to be a very beautiful illustration of Christianity at work. So we see in this letter is how good beliefs should act, Right? So having good theology is not enough. There must be a follow-through in our theology. Flowing from good doctrine should come right behavior. 
The truth is it is dangerously possible to grow in our knowledge of God without growing in our love for God or our love for his people. But without love, all doctrine and all theology add up to nothing. And that that is spelled out so clearly and simply for us in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And here we go. Deep breath. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's more than just a verse to be read at a wedding. That is a defining point in the life of everyone who professes to be a follower of Christ. It is the proof in your pudding. How do you love? A.W. Tozer said, we cannot pray in love and live in hate and still think we are worshiping God. Now love is definitely easier at some times than others. It's definitely easier to love some people over others. We need theology that isn't just words or knowledge. We must have a doctrine that has hands and feet and a heart. Because at the center of Christian love lies the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is an endless well from which all Christian love is drawn from. And we find it woven throughout this letter. We see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Who are we to restrict the flow in anyone's direction? Who are we to say, I deserve it, but they do not? In this letter from Paul to his beloved fellow worker Philemon, the challenge is given not to just love your neighbor kind of love, but a love your enemy kind of love. A reconciling love. And the backstory that we get here from this letter is really quite interesting. The Apostle Paul has found himself in prison. But I first want you to notice as we start into this letter, Paul identifies himself in a specific way. And this is really a whole sermon in and of itself, but I won't preach it today. He's a prisoner in Rome, and he's a prisoner for preaching the gospel. 
He identifies himself and he describes his circumstances as this, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Start off on the right foot. Paul is acknowledging the one who authored his captivity. Giving no credit to the Romans. He said it was Christ. It was Christ that landed me here. He didn't blame it on the devil. Right? No credit for the devil here. He says, for Christ Jesus. Therefore, what Paul is doing is he's embracing it. He's embracing this captivity, and he lets it work in and through him to the glory of God and the edification of the church. The chains that Paul was wearing were light on his wrists. They could have been his excuse, but instead they were his reason. Throughout this short letter, Paul mentions it's for Christ's sake, for the sake of Christ, for love's sake, for Christ Jesus, and for the gospel. In 20-some verses, he makes that point that many times. And it tells me that every bit of Christian suffering, any imprisonment, any hardship or dip or valley or awkward confrontation or encounter falls into all of these categories. Nothing happens outside of the care of God. It is given to you for Christ's sake. Any and all of it. So back to the story. Philemon lived in Colossae, and judging by what we read, he was probably pretty well off because Philemon had a house that was large enough to host one of the churches that met in Colossae. Uh, and at one time, we're told, he had a slave, a slave by the name of Onesimus, who ran away and stole from Philemon as he fled. Now back in this time, and it was uh, somewhat rare, but a runaway slave would have been or could have been put to death for running away. Now I want to I clarify something because in this day and age we live in, uh, people will just be this way. This isn't and wasn't slavery like we are familiar with, okay? Let's just, let's just get that out of the way. Um, it, it just didn't work the way that we have been taught in our history books as slavery was in America. So uh, let's, just, let's just deal with that. Um, but either way, it could have been, because he was considered a property or a possession of Philemon, uh, he could have been put to death for his running away. So Onesimus ran to Rome, which was pretty common for runaway slaves to flee to Rome. It was a place where a lot was happening, there was a lot of people, and a runaway could blend in pretty easily in Rome. So as divine providence would have it, Somehow Onesimus runs into Paul in a prison 
and Paul leads him to the Lord. So now we've got this connection between Paul and his friend Philemon and this runaway slave who has just come to the knowledge of Christ. Now Paul finds himself in a predicament here in this story because as a believer, Paul knows there has to be reconciliation between brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to Philemon and sends it on its way. So we follow this letter from Rome to Colossae, and we arrive to the doorstep of Philemon. The letter carried by a quivering, calloused hand. Arriving at a familiar address, his heart races, and with a deep breath and a sigh, the carrier lifts his hands to knock upon the door. I'll be right there, cries the familiar voice. And Philemon answers the door with a gasp. Standing in front of Philemon with the letter from the Apostle Paul is his runaway slave, Onesimus. The slave that had betrayed him is knocking at his door. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall for this? Whatever amount of time it took them to speak, I can't imagine the gamut of emotions that they would have ran through looking at each other. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Who's going to make the first move? Who's going to say the first word, right? What Onesimus did could have been met with death. Certain death. But he says, I have a letter from the Apostle Paul for you to read. Paul, how in the world did you, a former slave, run away, thieving from me, end up with a letter from Paul for me? Colossae is a small town. People would have known that he was a slave of Philemon. They certainly would have known that he had stolen and ran away. But what an opportunity is given here to this little church in Colossae through its leader. If the people in the church could see the power of reconciliation and be encouraged by it, what an opportunity to show a town of unbelievers. We can already see something different in Onesimus. The runaway slave coming back knowing what could happen, right? Philemon could have said, I'm going to get to this letter later. Let's take you to the gallows. Onesimus has taken responsibility for his sin. Not just his sin that was against God, but also his sin that was against Philemon. And he had to have had a lot of faith in what Paul had encouraged him 
and the person that he knew Philemon actually was, right? Why, why would he trust this former owner who he ran away from? Who could punish him to death? I found it interesting, uh, if you look up the name Philemon, the name Philemon actually means affectionate. It's pretty interesting, especially as we go on throughout this letter. But verses 4 through 8 says something, I think, pretty, pretty peculiar describing the leader of the church in Colossae. It says this, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I thought, I wonder where Paul got his information that Philemon was that kind of person still. I wonder if it was Onesimus. I wonder if Onesimus had described Philemon to Paul. He goes on, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, I'm no genius, uh, but it didn't take me long to figure out that somebody was about to ask for a favor after that. You know what I mean? Like Paul's really buttering up Philemon here, really being an encouragement. But it seems like Philemon's natural response of refreshing the saints, refreshing the hearts of God's people is, is what what Paul would expect to happen here. Philemon seems to be the type of godly man who would do anything for the sake of Christ. And Paul continues on in verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And this is cool here, just a little tidbit. Formerly, he was useless to you. I wonder if Onesimus was there when he was writing that. But now he is indeed useful to you and me. I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. Man, something was special about Onesimus. Paul connected with Onesimus on a, on a superior level here. Leading Onesimus to the Lord in prison. What an amazing thing for Paul to do. But he did it because he understood it was God who booked him. Right? And it wasn't Rome. He knew that God had a plan. And in that place, and part of that plan, was to become the spiritual father of a runaway slave. Do we see our suffering as that kind of opportunity? As an opportunity to lead someone to the Lord, to help someone come to life in Christ. Do we see it as an opportunity for us to disciple someone? 
to possibly send them on a mission of reconciliation that people would read about for 2,000 years plus. That's the reality of the way we should see our life. In both the highs and the lows, we should all be spiritual parents to someone. All of us. We all need spiritual parents. All of us. How many times do we find ourselves griping and complaining about the struggles of another believer without having the willingness to parent them lovingly in Christ? I mean, what if Paul would have heard of Onesimus and and what he did and what he came to and thought, you know what, you deserve to be in prison here too. You thief, you run away. Christ has made every believer's life full of gospel value. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, your life, when it has been saved by the grace of God, has gospel value to it. You have something to share with someone. And sometimes we just need that prompt to go. Sometimes we just need that prompt to face the hard things, to face that past and find reconciliation in that relationship. How often do we hear the slander of brothers and sisters in Christ and not point them in the direction of reconciliation? Church, that is sin. That's sin. I heard a story this week of of someone who spent their entire lunchtime talking about how bad of a person I am and how bad this church is. And and a buddy of mine said, yeah, I was at the lunch. They talked about you for an hour. I said, thanks for stopping them. Some friend, right? Wouldn't a brother in Christ point them to reconciliation? But you know, the truth is, we got to be careful of this. Some people like to believe wrong things. That's not Christ. That's sin. That's absolute sin, and we've got to guard against that. Because we've been reconciled to Christ, and that's our mission is to reconcile others to Christ and not let any other garbage get in the way of that. That's what love does. But I like how Paul goes about this here. He doesn't command a response from Philemon. He doesn't say, I'm the apostle Paul. He didn't throw his clout around or his authority. He didn't want him to be under compulsion to do it, but to give him the opportunity of his own accord to be reconciled in this relationship. And this is what's beautiful. This is is the... The the sure geniusness of Scripture. Paul uses a play on words here with Philemon, who is the affectionate one, right? We know that. So regarding Onesimus, whose name actually means useful. See what he did there? Philemon? He's saying, uh, 
Mr. Useful is now going to live up to his name, Philemon. I expect Mr. Affectionate too also. That's good. That's good. Christian, you bear the name of Christ. Your name, your life should bear the fruit of his spirit. If you claim Christ, live up to the name of Christ. Verse 15, I like this. This is where it really comes together. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Oh. Now, listen. Let's just put ourselves in in shoes here of Philemon. Do I want this guy back forever? I mean, I'm upset. That really hurt. Would I take this man back forever? And then he goes on. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, Paul said, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's saying, Philemon, as as much as this means to me, it should mean that much more to you to be reconciled to this man. Paul said, I'm sending my very heart. Paul loved Onesimus. He had, in some amount of time, become extremely valuable to Paul. Paul had invested in him. It's costing Paul something to send him back to Philemon. He probably would have been very useful as Paul is locked in chains, right? But the value of reconciliation was that much higher. That much higher. It reminded me of Romans 8, 28. For we know in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Perhaps, Paul is saying, this is good. He's found Christ. And you can have Onesimus back forever. So it's not just a temporary reconciliation. This is an eternal reconciliation. It's like you you can't look at Onesimus the same anymore. He's not the old Onesimus, but the new. He is in Christ, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, I'm sending him back to you so the eyes of the world can see the owner and the servant reunited at the Lord's table. Philemon, here's your opportunity to not just forgive, but to embrace the one who wronged you as a brother and no longer as a slave. Your opportunity to show the world it is all level ground at the foot of the cross. I think part of Paul's investment into Onesimus uh, and his urgency for reconciliation comes back to Paul's own story. 
his own situation, his, his memory of being that runaway from God, that Pharisee who robbed and persecuted the early church, remembering it was the loving hand of Barnabas who risked his life, his reputation, his position in the church to persuade the disciples to accept Paul. And now Paul has the opportunity to pay it forward, right? Christianity knows nothing of hopeless cases. I'm sure that was part of the conversation between the two. I mean, even, I'm not going to look at anybody, but just look around. <laughs> Look in this church, and, and, and you will know that Christianity knows nothing of hopeless cases. Just think of the muck that you were pulled from. Just imagine what Christ pulled the person next to you out of. Nothing of hopeless cases. If we would understand the depths of sin in filth that we were saved from, we would no longer sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, and we would sing, I'm surprised I'm a part of the family of God. And the second verse would be, I'm really surprised he's a part of the family of God, right? That's how it would go. That's our testimony. What the gospel of Jesus Christ does is absolutely radical absolutely radical. I'm preaching for crying out loud. That's radical. How do we ever get here? Think of all that had to happen for us to be right where we are right now. For you to have the desire to walk out in that cold and wind today to meet with God's people. That's not who you used to be. It's not how you used to be. But every moment of sin, every moment of shame and betrayal and rejection, all of that inside of the sovereignty of God, numbering our steps to the very doorstep of the one we betrayed. The one we ran from, the one we stole from. But I want to be clear to you today, it is not just love that solves the problem. That's what the world wants us to believe. For God to love the world, right? Just love. But if it stopped there, we would all still be condemned. Ephesians does not say, for it is by love you have been saved through faith. It said it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace is love that's willing to pay a price. The debt could not, cannot be ignored. The law is the law, and the law still demands a payment. So Paul says, whatever he owes you, charge it to my account. I'll pay the bill. It's not just love. That's grace. Where would Paul get some radical idea like that? Well, Paul's payment 
of all of Onesimus' debts is a parallel to Christ's payment for our sins. Because of love, by grace, through faith, he paid that debt for us. Paul knew full well how the gospel works. God can't just wipe away sin. The debt had to be charged to someone's account. And here's the whole point of this letter. The whole purpose, it's in Scripture, is for us to see that every single one of us carries the name Onesimus. Paul was, Philemon was, you are and I am. And in this letter we see how real the gospel is. We see how real the gospel was in the life of Paul, in his willingness and his desire to see it played out in the church as a whole and in the life of individual people within the church. And it's the Lord's desire to see this same type of love played out in our life. Christian, if you have been wronged, charge it to Christ's account, just as God has charged your sins to Christ's account. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind, which I looked it up. Uh, this word in the Greek defines as useful. <laughs> Onesimus. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving or pardoning one another as God in Christ forgave you. Not like 90%, 80%, 99%. As God in Christ forgave you. If anyone could write this letter, Paul was qualified. He was qualified. Paul's sins had been placed upon the shoulders of Christ. And he writes a letter to Philemon, whose sins were placed upon the shoulders of Christ, about his runaway slave Onesimus, whose sins were placed upon the shoulders of Christ, so that we can see how the gospel should play out in our own lives. Charge that to my account. I was curious, though. This letter doesn't really tell us how the rest of the story unfolds kind of would leave it up to our imagination, but I don't like to go there. So I, I, I did some digging, and according to history documents, Onesimus was forgiven by Philemon, and not just forgiven, but sent into ministry by Philemon. Becoming a bishop at the church in Ephesus which is the church that Paul started. His newfound Christian faith brought him under fire. He was arrested in Rome for preaching the gospel. Just like his protege, right? 
He would not recant his faith. He was sentenced to death for preaching. He was cruelly tortured, beaten, stoned, and then beheaded. A runaway slave. Martyred, not by Rome, but for Christ Jesus. For the gospel. With all of his sins charged to Christ's account. Oh, how different that story would have been if it weren't for the gift of reconciliation. Even if Paul would have said, Onesimus, I'm glad that you came to the knowledge of Christ, but probably should stay away from Philemon. He's kind of got a temper. Yeah, I mean, he loves the Lord, but he's kind of got a temper. Maybe Onesimus would have just worked in the prison for the rest of his life. Instead, Paul challenged Philemon and Onesimus both to trust that reconciliation you found through Christ will pour over and out from his church, from his body. And how much different could someone's life be if you had the faith, if you had the courage that reconciliation could do such a mighty work? I mean, it did it in you, right? And if it can work with you, then it can work with anybody. Because Christianity knows no hopeless cases. Charge that to my account is the cry for crucified and resurrected Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenge of your word. God, how so many times we can... Uh, twist our emotions and twist scripture to justify our desire to stay away from some people. And God, we can come up with all reasons and excuses, but Lord, I pray, I pray conviction on my life and the life of this church today. I, I know we all have a relationship that is strained that needs mended, that the church would benefit from, that the church would be edified through, and that God would be glorified through. And might we today, in this time of reflection, wade through the excuses and the lies that we've told ourselves and walk ourselves back to the door of that relationship that needs reconciled that that sin might be charged to the account of Christ in Jesus name Amen You have been listening to Pastor Jimmy Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio We hope you have enjoyed today's message and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. 
Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.